0: all of our life, we grow up thinking that life's supposed to be fair. I mean, it's just built into us that that we're taught that if you treat people right and, and, and you treat people fairly, you'll be treated fairly in return. You know, if you share your toys, if you include other kids at recess, you share your snacks, you know, then they'll do the same to you. And I guess it's reasonable to expect the same type of actions in return. So we grow up with the expectation that this is the way life works. And we expect it in officials uh, and umpires. We expect them to be fair. Wasn't yesterday awful, by the way. But anyhow... A lot of Kentucky fans in here. We expect fairness in this. We go to work and we expect people to be paid fairly. We, we get married and we expect the labor to be at least somewhat fair when we have kids. We expect that we should be uh, equal partners in the raising of those kids. Kids expect parents to treat them equally uh, if they have siblings. And, and we grow up thinking this is how life's supposed to work. But then one day it happens. Somebody breaks our heart. Somebody uh, doesn't accept us into college. We get cut from the ball team. And, and, and then I guess somebody has to sit down and have that talk with you. You know, not that talk, but the other talk. You know, that talk that, that life really is not fair. It just doesn't work that way. And maybe none of you had someone have that talk with you, and they just left it up to you to figure it out completely on your own, and then you lost your job in a layoff. And you realized, oh, wow. Or your spouse, who said, till death do us part, didn't mean it. Or someone you loved died, and all of a sudden you realize this truth that, man, life is is not fair and and regardless of how we figured out whether somebody taught us that or experience taught us that oftentimes what happens if is, is our focus moves from life not being fair to the one who created life and we have a tendency to blame god for the unfairness that we experience in life now of course we know it's not god's fault but for years, people have been blaming God when something doesn't work out the way that they think it should, from lost jobs to lost marriages, to broken, from broken toys to broken dreams. People are like, God, how come this isn't working out? And they say those words that we hear. Maybe we've even thought, God, how come you're not doing something about this? How come you're not fixing this problem? Well, this is what's going on in this section of Malachi. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we're walking verse by verse through the book of Malachi. This is our third sermon in the series. We're going to pick up in Malachi chapter 2. Now, the people of Malachi's day are looking around, and they're thinking, God, we don't understand it. We're your people. We're called by your name. We're going to church. We're, We're giving our offerings, and yet things aren't working out the way that we think they should work out. Where are you, God? And why aren't you doing something? Well, Malachi uh, is addressing this sentiment throughout the book, and I don't know if you remember or not. If you weren't here, you don't, but if you were here, you might remember that Malachi starts out with the people doubting God's love. God says in Malachi 1 verse 2, I have loved you, and you only say that if people are doubting it, and God says, I have loved you, and the people respond by saying, we don't see it. We don't see how you have loved us. And what the rest of the book does is it shows this real problem that was a real problem that was going on, but it wasn't that God wasn't loving, it's that they weren't loving God in return. It wasn't affecting their worship. They'd show up, as it said in chapter one, to worship God, and this God who loved them was getting half-hearted devotion from them. And it wasn't showing up in the way they would treat their families. They were marrying people who didn't believe in God, and then they were divorcing the wives that God had given them. And so it wasn't showing up in those most intimate relationships. Then we see here in, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, that, that that they're frustrated. Listen to what it says. The, the Lord speaks to them and says, you have through Malachi, and says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. Now, we use this sometimes. We say it in a different way, but we'll say this. Man, you're just wearing me out with your words. Now, usually we say that to a chatty Cathy, right? You know, somebody who just talks too much. We're like, would you stop? You know, but but it's not so much the amount of words they're using that is wearying to the Lord. It is what they're saying. Listen, he they ask, how have we wearied you? And he says, when you say... Everyone who does evil is good in the Lord's sight. The Lord blesses people who are bad, but those of us who are trying to do good, where's the Lord at? We've been putting in our time. Why isn't he doing anything? Where is the justice in God? Where is that God of justice that we talk about? Um, Israel had this real sense that they were being slighted by God. Um, you know, some things never change. If you. T- I talk to people all the time who question God's goodness and his fairness. Life deals them a hard blow. Their husband leaves, their job ends, their kid gets in trouble. Why God let this happen to me? Our plans don't turn out the way that they think they should well, I was going to church and I was doing right. It doesn't seem fair. And some folks get frustrated. And truthfully, they get frustrated maybe not even about what's happening to them, but they look around and they see people laying in nursing homes and they think, man, they went to church all their life. God, where are you at in that situation? Or why are there so many people who are hungry in Kentucky? Why are children abused? God, where are you at in this? I mean, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Where, where, where are you, God? And I think sometimes people who say these things feel like they've got God back into a corner. You know, like, his hands are tied. What can he say? You know, I mean, I trump carded him. You're unfair, God. Well, God answers the people of Malachi, I think, in a similar way that he would answer us. He'd say, you guys are wearing me out. Now, I'll be honest, if you were wearing me out and I were God, I would squish you like a bug. I'd be like, "Do you remember the flood?" Ha ha ha! You know, I mean, how long can you tread water? But you know, that's kind of, you know, how I would deal with these things. But but he responds in Malachi completely different because he is a gracious and loving and merciful God, and he starts talking about the Messiah. Now, that's a word we find in the whole Old Testament. Uh, They were looking for this Messiah who would bring justice. Now. This is not a concept that's new to Malachi. It's a concept that's found throughout the prophets. But I want to make sure you understand what Messiah means. Do you know what the New Testament word of Messiah is? Christ. The anointed. The one who is coming. The special one. You've probably heard Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. This Old Testament hope was for this one who would come, who who would bring justice and, and make the wrong right, and make the rough smooth, and make the crooked straight. This one who would come and turn the world back to the way that the world was intended to be. And we who are Christians believe that that one has come, and that one is Christ. But in Malachi's day, he hadn't come yet. And these passages, they teach us so much about about what this Messiah is going to do. So let's pick up now in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, See, you're, you're wondering where my justice is. Behold, see, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek, that Messiah, that one you seek, he will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. And see, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, All the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah, but Malachi introduces a new wrinkle. He talks about a messenger who is coming. When the Messiah comes, Malachi is going to talk about this much more throughout the next couple of chapters. And he's going to say that this messenger is going to come before the Messiah and prepare a way. In fact, Malachi talks about him so much that they name the prophet Malachi, which guess what that means? Messenger. Maybe it was his nickname, maybe it was his name by birth, but that's what he is called, the, the one who talks about the messenger. Now, when we read the New Testament, we know that there was a messenger who came before the Messiah. That messenger was? John the Baptist was the messenger. He was the one who came and proclaimed the coming of the Christ. Now, the reason I believe the messenger came was so that people would know they hadn't missed it. I don't know if you realize this or not, but a lot of people had a lot of different ideas about the Messiah and what he would be like. Some people believed that the Messiah, and he would reestablish temple worship. They would start offering the sacrifices again, and they would restore the temple to its glory. There were folks who believed that, and they thought the Messiah, when he came, that would be his number one task. Other folks said, no, no the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to take us back to the commandments, and he's going to teach us the laws, and he's going to be more interested in the law and what it says. That's what the Messiah will do. Other people said, no, 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 no. The Messiah will come, and he will be the one who will reestablish our political prominence. He'll be the one who will deliver us from the Romans and set up the throne of David again. And that would be the Messiah that comes. Now, this is important because when you read the New Testament, these concepts are on every page because you hear about a group named the Sadducees who believed that the worship in the temple was what the Messiah would do. And you wonder why they were arguing with the Pharisees because the Pharisees said, God doesn't care about the temple anymore. He wants to know about his commandments. And so that's why they would try to trip Jesus up and say, What's the greatest commandment? If you're really the one, what is the... And then there was a group who said, we don't really care about the law, and God doesn't care about the temple worship. He cares about Israel being a great nation. And they were interested in the political fight, and they were called the zealots. So when you read the New Testament, those three groups were all about this concept of the Messiah and what they were looking for. And they were very, very different groups, and they had very different ideas, but they had one thing in common, and catch this. They were all excited about the coming of the Messiah because the Messiah would make what was wrong right, what was wrong in their mind. Uh, And so the Bible teaches that he is the Lord that they seek the Lord that they were looking for. The one they looked forward to. Because this Messiah was going to come and deal with the unfair things of the world. I don't know about y'all, but I like for things to work fairly. I will confess, that is my nature. I don't like unfair. My daughter plays volleyball. She, uh, my oldest one was in very competitive leagues. My younger one is too. But my oldest one was the, the one who would run her head through the wall to try to win. It just She broke her tooth one time in half and kept picked the tooth up, threw it off the floor, and kept playing. A 17-year-old girl doing that just tells you a little bit about her makeup. Well, she wants things to be fair for sure. Well, we were at a tournament one time, and in these tournaments in club ball, they have a main referee who's paid to do something. I ain't figured out what yet. But he's paid, and then they put little girls on the sidelines with flags to call balls in and out and if they touched it or whatnot, okay? Just teenagers. Well, invariably it happens, you know, I mean, it's sometimes 15-year-old girls, sometimes 17-year-old girls watching this, and they don't care about a game they're not playing in, and they're halfway watching, and they're thinking about whatever's going on next, or you know, I get what this is, but parents go ballistic at this, okay, you know, uh, uh, and one time we were at this tournament, I think it was last year we were at this tournament, and there was this guy, he was about six foot two. he weighed about 240 pounds, he was a bodybuilding looking type of dude. And he starts yelling because they missed a call against his team. And, I mean, he is just letting this girl have it. And everybody was scared to say anything to him because he might let them have it. And so, I mean, he's just, I mean, about ten times in this game, he just ripped into these kids who are holding this. And then one of the girls made a call that went in his team's favor. And another parent started yelling. Lord, it's my witness. This 6'2 guy looked over and said, Would you hush? They're just kids. (laughs) We want life to be fair unless when it's unfair it goes in our favor. Let's be honest. I'm sitting in a room with people who have been treated unfairly. You have been given a thousand times more than most people on this earth. And you got that simply because you were born in a place of wealth and prosperity. But you know who I see crying foul in our world? A lot of times, it's not those in third world countries who are trying to figure out where their next meal comes from. It's those of us who have so much privilege that are so frustrated. God looks at these folks and and, and, and who are saying you're not fair? And he must be thinking, I love you. I've made you my own people. I delivered you out of slavery. I made you a great nation. Wealth came your way. I've given you teaching and truth. I provided for you. I've watched over you. I'm not fair. To help understand this passage in Malachi, we might imagine God to be like this referee in heaven. And for years, he had blessed. Israel. And he had given them so much. And he had overlooked their sins and endured their unfaithfulness. And now things aren't going the way that Israel wants. And they're accusing God of cheating. And, and they almost are saying, we wish you had send a new guy. And God says, I'm tired of hearing it. But I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with this injustice. And when I get there, it might not be what you expect. Notice what he says. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like a cleansing lye or a a laundering soap. Now, there's two images he uses that I want to unpack quickly. He says, first, that God, when he comes, when the Messiah will come, he will be like the refiner's fire. If you know anything about gold or silver, you know, if you mine gold, you don't pull out pure chunks of gold or silver that are ready to be made into a ring right away. There has to be a refining process. In their day, they would uh, heat up the gold until about 1,000 degrees. The dross would rise to the top. They would skim off the dross, and they would have a much purer metal that they prized and made jewelry and other objects out of. This is the image of what God is going to do when he comes. He's going to come, and he's going to turn the heat up on you and the impurity is going to rise to the top, and he's going to take that away. And then he gives another picture. He says that the Messiah, when he comes, will be like a launderer's soap. Now, this is a process of, uh, the process of washing clothes in the ancient world uh, was different than ours. They, They would start with this strong lye soap, and they would have to take their clothes and soap Soak the clothes in this soap mixture, and then they would lay the clothes out on the rock and they would beat them with a stick, which is kind of similar to what we're trying to accomplish with an agitator in a washing machine to try to get that soap to interact with the dirt to pull it out of the materials. And, and, And these two images are conveying that God is going to come and he's going to deal with the dirt and with the injustice in the world, but they're also teaching that this process is going to be hard. It's a painful process. And the people of Israel were probably thinking, it should be. God ought to get those people who aren't doing what's right. God should melt those who are evil. God should be harsh to those who are unfair. But then God surprises them and says, the people the Messiah is going to start with are the people of God. God deals first with the injustice of his people. The irony is they're asking, where's your justice? And God says, you're right. I need to come and I need to set things straight. And he says, I'm going to deal with you. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, he will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, The sons of Levi were the priests of Israel. I'm going to start with who are supposed to be the holiest of the holy, and I'm going to deal with you first. Now, that's sobering. That God's judgment will begin with his people. But there's also some good news in it. It's interesting to me that there's a big difference between how God deals with injustice in his people and how he deals with injustice of people who are not his own, who don't believe in him. I I don't have this verse on the screen, but if you have your Bibles open, if you'll look back to chapter 1, he talks about the people of Edom or the people of Esau. Jacob have I loved, my people I, I love, the people of Edom I have hated. And he says, I will turn their mountains into wasteland. I will demolish them. I will destroy them. They will be utterly destroyed. That's pretty harsh. But listen to what God says he's going to do to his people. It's painful, but it's a refiner's fire. It's a purifying soap. God disciplines those he loves. Everybody, everybody hear that? If God loves you, he allows hard things to come into your life to get some of those impurities in you out. Um, he's not the inferno that consumes or the incinerator destroys. He's the refining fire who's cleaning up our impurities and washing out our dirt. Now, for them, this day was coming. For us, it's already began. It started when Jesus came to earth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that the Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation, expression of God's nature. You look at Jesus, you can tell what God is like. You want to know what the one who created everything is like? Look at Jesus, and you'll know. He's the exact representation of his nature. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And then listen to what it says next. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty majesty on high. When Jesus came, he did what we couldn't do. We couldn't get rid of our own sin. And even when the sin was skimmed off the top, it continued to rise. It was an endless fountain of impurity in our heart. The Bible says that man's heart is wicked above all things. And that sin which is in us continues to surface and continues to surface. So Jesus came and he said, I will cover their sin. I will make purification for them on their behalf. Once for all, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, he made purification payment for our sin now the New Testament while teaching that once for all Jesus covers our sin teaches that the refining process still goes on throughout a believer's life and it happens I do not believe that God causes all hard things but I believe that God uses all hard things I don't believe that he is the initiator of everything wrong that happens in this life. I don't believe that at all, but I believe he uses every wrong in this life to bring out the good in his people. When an illness comes, the enemy might mean it for bad, but God will bring good. Whenever uh, we face hardship, the loss of a loved one, someone walks out, someone stabs in the back, a best friend ignores Your personal economy gets squeezed. It's painful. We'd rather not go through it, but you need to know that God is working in you to make your hearts pure. When we go through hardships, it is so that we can be refined and have pure hearts before God. And the Bible says, who shall see God? Jesus said something like the pure in heart shall see God. So God is constantly refining our hearts. First Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says, We rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials. Listen to what he says. You struggle so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, that gold perishes, though refined by fire, the genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two things occur when you go through hardship. Number one, your faith is proved to be genuine. Praise the Lord. I would much rather know when I die that I had real faith than phony faith. And if it takes hardship for me to understand that, praise the Lord, bring the hardship on. I don't want to lay on my deathbed wondering. I want to know that I have pure faith in God. So that's one thing that happens. The second thing that happens is when we go through hardships and we have, are being transformed, God gets worshiped. He refines our hearts to make people better worshipers. Again, back to Malachi. He will be like a a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver. And then Key word, he's going to do this so that they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. When they come in worship, it's real worship, not phony trying to get ahead in business. Not I'm here because my mama made me be here. Not this is just what you do in our society type of worship. It is pure, real worship of the one who has called me by his name and who has loved me. It goes on to say in the next verse, it says, and the offerings will please the Lord, righteous offerings before the Lord. Then the next verse, we have this list of things that, that God says, you're coming to worship me, and these things are not right in your heart. And I'm going to read them in just a second. He says, I will come to you in judgment. I will be ready to witness against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who um, oppress. I left that off. Oppress the widow and the fatherless and cheat the wage earner against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They don't fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, he singles out some behaviors that corrupt worship displays. And he says these areas need to be refined. He starts with sorcerers. Okay, now to be honest, we don't have a lot of people in here probably involved in sorcery. Just guessing. You know? Uh, Probably not a lot in our society. But if you're alert when you're driving, there are people who are looking to find the future out by having their palm read. Still folks who flip cards to try to see what, or, or who look to the newspaper to try to see what that astrological alignment of the heavens tells them is good for them. Listen, I think what's going on here is, in our day, if God were speaking to us, I think he would say, I'm against those who take my rightful place, who steal my position. I'm to be Lord of your life, not some phony who's telling you they know the future. Then he talks about, I'm against adulterers, uh, those who are, faith, who are not faithful in their marriage, those who mistreat their families, I believe is what he would say to us. And he puts through the fire those who don't love their wives or their, or their children or their husbands. Now, we dealt with this a lot last week, so I'm not going to spend much more time there today. But the next few all deal with, those ignore social injustice all uh, about the next the next four uh, deal with this first he talks about perjurers or those who give false testimony uh who 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 swear falsely now you might think this doesn't seems like kind of a big sin for god to care about it in their day they didn't have dna they didn't have forensic evidence all they had was a person's word And so oftentimes in their society, people would lie to get someone off or lie to get someone hung. You remember even when Jesus was accused, they brought in false witnesses against him because people could pad their pockets by wagging their tongue. And rich people were the ones who really got ahead in this society because they could afford to pay somebody to lie. So poor people were getting taken advantage of. He talks next about the widows and the fatherless. He is against those who oppress them. Now, it's, it's not easy today to be a widow or to be fatherless, but it was much more difficult in the ancient world. They didn't have the social programs and the nets to catch people. And instead of providing for these in Malachi's day, they were exploiting them. They cheated the wage earner. God could see how unfairly they were treating their employees for their own benefit. They were getting rich on the backs of those who could barely eat. And he said, I see that. And then God talks about denying justice to the foreigner. Now, the word used here is alien or immigrant. Pretty hot topic in our society. Um those who are working and living in an area on a permanent basis, and they were exploiting them. Now, I want to give a time out. I don't talk politics. Every now and then I will tweet something, but I'm, not, I don't, I'm never for anybody. I'm just against. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I'm not trying to tell you who to vote, but if you can read through the lines, you can. But anyhow, I'm from the pulpit, but I know this is a hot-button issue, you know, because... What do we do? We live in a country that I think has every right to say who can and cannot come in. I think that is our right. But I want to talk to us for a second. And if you read my Facebook or whatever, you'll know where I stand on this, okay? Uh, But those of us who think maybe we ought to secure our borders to take care of us need to also be honest that we really like the cheap products that come from those who are here who are getting abused. Because if you're under the table, you get paid lower wages. And if you get paid lower wages, we can make cheaper products, and my profit margin's a little bigger. Just be careful because it's so easy for us to talk really, really big. And God says, I hate when you deny justice to the foreigner. And why do all of these things happen? Because people don't fear me. They worry about themselves more than they worry about me. They worry about what they want more than they worry about what I want. They simply don't fear me. God is watching. You say, where is the justice? And God looks down from heaven and says, where's the justice? Those of you who have thousands of times more. Now, don't hear me wrong. I believe we have set up a social strategy over the last so many years in our society that oppresses poor people instead of delivers poor people. I think when you give with no expectation, you enslave. You don't benefit. But I will say this. As individuals, when we see people who are broken and hurting and needing a hand up instead of a hand out and we don't give it, God looks down from heaven and says, where are you? Where are my people? Where are those that are called by my name? Now, the main point of this message today, and I know truthfully I lost about 30% of you there, maybe 50% because half of people are in one camp, half of people are in another, but here's the main point of the message. Here it is. How you treat others is a reflection of how much you love God. That's not a Nick Sandford thing, that's not a Malachi thing, that's a Jesus thing. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And who is my neighbor? And Jesus, everyone, Jesus gave an example. Absolutely, Jesus gave the example of a man who fell among thieves and religious people ignored him. Supposedly, holy people ignored him. People who knew right from wrong ignored him. And a Samaritan, a foreigner, helped him out and said, Who was my neighbor? Guys, whether it's the widow, the orphan, the outcast, the mess up the down and out the up and out the odd the annoying the undeserving the unwanted should they find a neighbor in us Oh, that was before Jesus' preacher. That was Malachi. You know Jesus made everything different. He did. And Jesus or James says, Jesus' brother after the resurrection, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Jesus said, I assure you, in the next verse, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. One of the ways we worship God is showing justice to others. Now, I think some churches do this well. I think this church does this pretty well. But we should be the first in line to help the afflicted, to deal with injustice, to care for orphans and widows. And when we help others, it's not because we're trying to earn God's favor. And it's not because we have this guilt complex. It's because we see someone who seems to lack love and as someone who's been loved with an everlasting love, we should want to do more. Guys, I don't want you to misunderstand me today. I'm not trying to help people and treat people well so God will love me. I'm trying to help people and treat people well because God does love me. He has changed my life and I want people to experience the love that changed me the reason we love others is because God loves us. And then one final verse, and I'd ask you to hang with me for about five more seconds, ten more seconds after this. I, Yahweh, God, the Lord, have not changed. Because if I'd quit loving people who don't deserve it, you'd have been destroyed already. Guys, there's the message to the church from Malachi today. God has covered our sins in Jesus. He's given us eternal life, and He is still purifying us so that we will be holy and pure and righteous before God when we worship Him now and forever. May He find righteousness in His people. May He find it in us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You, Lord, for for Your patience with With me. I thank you, Lord, for how much you have given and how many times you've forgiven me when I don't think of others. Lord, I pray that we would learn the message from Malachi today. How can we say that we the love of God abides in us if we see our brother in need and do nothing? Lord, Give us wisdom to know the difference between being a helper and an enabler. Give us, Lord, the ability to help others without fearing what's going to happen to ourselves. God, give us the ability to, to treat other people the way you've treated us. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks truth into our life as we read your word. I thank you Lord for the opportunity to share with this people today. Speak into their hearts I pray in Jesus name. Amen.